You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Motormania with Damien Reed. Welcome back to Motormania. I'm Damien Reed. We're with you through until noon today, and I'm joined in the studio by a very special guest. Nine-time Formula One Grand Prix winner with Red Bull Racing, the 2015 FIA World Endurance Champion with Porsche, and also finished second in Le Mans with the team and as well driving the 919 Hybrid. So not surprisingly, he is a Porsche ambassador, and I'm very happy to welcome the studio. Mark Weber. good morning. Good morning, Damon. How are you, mate? Very good, mate. Very good. I can think of worst cars to represent. I mean, seriously, <laughs> exactly, man, yeah. what a gig. And yeah. I'm not just saying this, that the, nine, the 911, I've been saying it for years, it's the best sports car in the world, bar none. Absolutely. Yeah, I think all the Formula One drivers, um, you know, deep down uh, have uh, a Porsche somewhere tucked away because uh, even if they're not allowed to, they they have them. So, uh, yeah, it's an iconic car. It's, it's been so legendary on the racing track and as well, as I say, during the week, wherever you're driving. Uh, so, yeah, it's a timeless, beautiful piece of machinery, uh, understated, sexy as well. So, yeah, they work well. Unbelievable. It's sensational. Now, you're here for Icons of Porsche. It starts later this afternoon out at the Dubai Design District, D3. It runs right across the weekend and uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to be seeing out there tonight anyway to check out what is an amazing display of everything to do with Porsche. Um, have you had a peek yet? Have you seen what's out there? Yeah, I've had a quick look. It's pretty awesome. We've got the new 911 Dakar car out there, got the new GT3 RS out there. So Porsche, they don't do things by halves. So uh, it's the second year. So uh, last year was phenomenal. You don't have to be a Porsche owner or even a Porsche fan to come there. You know, you can come out tonight and, and, and check it all out. I think it's open from 4 o'clock onwards. So, um, yeah, something there for everyone, for the kids as well. Uh, so there's music playing and awesome food. And, yeah, so, um, yeah, iconsofporsche.com. You can just register there. It's free. And it's going to be absolutely awesome. Have you have you seen anything like Icons of Porsche anywhere else in the world where it's just a massive collection collection of, of people chasing the same the same mark? We have lots of really cool events around the world. So, uh, you know, Porsche are pretty used to putting these type of phenomenal events on. Um, but obviously, it's got to have a regional feel, which this one does. Obviously, you know, with the safari, so the outdoors, uh, obviously, we can bank on the weather here. So there's lots of really good and nostalgic reasons why it should be here. But also, the products that we have on display here, are a real reflection of what uh, the embodiment of sort of what's gone before us and what we've got coming in the future. They do it well. It's, it's really slick. It's organized, you know, sensational. We've got some art sections as well, so it's there is absolutely something for everyone. And um, we've got some other awesome racing drivers here. Timo Bernhardt's here and Jackie Ix. So um, yeah, fantastic. Pretty uh, yeah, yeah, they're both two Porsche legends. So uh, looking forward to hanging out with those guys. You mentioned racing drivers. I find that racing drivers fall into one of two categories. Generally speaking, they're either mad about classics and have garages full of them and the, the whole, or they're just over the business of cars and tinkering with cars and trailering them around to racetracks and and. They they take it. They, that's for them. That's the business. Where do you fit into all this? Are you are you a classic car guy, or are you like that was that was work? Yeah, not really a classic car guy, to be honest. I mean, I certainly like looking at them. Um, I don't really want to spend too many hours sort of restoring and putting effort into, uh, you know, getting them getting them going again, which is not really the case, obviously, for Porsche because we know how reliable they are. So they're pretty much uh, – I do have one, and it's just been – the thing's just incredible. You don't you know, start it for ages, just go there, bang, starts, off you go, and it's just – it's so low maintenance, which is awesome. So, yeah, but I think you're right. Definitely there's some drivers. Like I've got a good friend of mine, Dario Franchitti. Dario is 
just yeah. like he's fastidious with his Porsches and his cars and, and what he's got. And um, yeah, so he's yeah he's in the other box. I like looking at other people's love for the product and the passion, and certainly it's something I certainly respect. Let's let's take it back a bit. When did you first realise that you wanted to get into motor racing? When did you feel that that sort of urge to go right? This is it on the track for me. Yeah, I think that started on motorbikes at a young age, so sort of six or seven on motorbikes, and then from there. Four wheels was something that um, was probably a bit safer. Uh, my mum uh, was not overly keen on the two-wheel uh, passion. So a uh, few accidents, of course, here and there. And then, um, you know, when you're so young, you know everything, right? So you're an expert at everything, even at 12. I think that racing go-karts, of course, really enjoying that. There was nothing really else on my mind. I mean, I did a lot of other sports growing up. I played tennis, played cricket, played golf, played Australian rules football, played a lot of sports, which I think my father was very cute at making sure I was distracted, that I wasn't getting involved in any, any other action in town, let's say, you know, getting up to mischief. But sport for me was, was such a great thing to do at a young age age because it just taught me resilience taught me about you know obviously being a team player and and then when I went into go-karts and had some success there I thought okay this is something which yeah now this is everything this is my life I'm I'm I I love this it's not it's not I'm not making any sacrifices because people talk about sacrifices I made all these sacrifices well I didn't make any sacrifices because I just bloody love doing it the rest is history I texted you a few years back and I think it was around about 2018 might have been through social media or somewhere I was having a coffee break in the Black Forest in, over in Germany. I was on this amazing event to drive the 911 GT range, GT3, GT2, GT3 RS, the Touring, the whole lot. That's Couldn't a good put, day out. Mate, that was a sensational <laughs> yeah, day out that still lives in my yeah. memory. And the noise, oh, my yeah. God. And I just didn't know where to go with this one. So I texted you saying, hey, what's, what's, what's your favourite out of all this? I'd just driven the GT2. You replied back saying, GT3 RS, that's yeah. the one. Now, yeah. I jumped in that car, 9,000 revs through through the hills. I mean, mm. my, it's just sensational. That was then. This is now. What's 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 your favorite 911 now um i still like the gt3s just because they're very very balanced on track so if you if you want to drive them lap after lap after lap i think they're 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 a beautiful car on the racing circuit um but also day to day they're just probably not quite as aggressive i mean look i love the power of the gt2 rs i mean don't get me wrong it's uh, no racing driver will turn down you know 700 horsepower but um I just prefer it's a, it's a personal thing, but you know probably would still have both if I could, but I haven't. But the GD3 RS or GD3, even just the standard set. When I say just the standard GD3, it's still an amazing car. Clean. I've done some very very long trips in it with my wife in through Europe, and and just how comfortable it even for a passenger. And you know the big 90 liter tank, it just goes all day, and it's just super versatile still turns heads like it's amazing a lot that i'm into that but obviously it's still just on that balance of actually yeah looking really clean the styling's nice but just the functionality of the car is is absolutely world class so that's uh that's my favorite 911 yeah we had the gd3 on uh, motormania a few months ago and honestly it's it's one of the cars with the most popular feedback from everything and it was just and at the time i was thinking how can you make this car more hard <laughs> not easy yeah and they've done it they've done it with the rs um, yeah. i mean that is uh just 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 a phenomenal weapon uh yeah the latest gd3 rs is is certainly that it's uh extremely quick a lot of downforce not for the faint-hearted but um you know porsche continuing pushing the boundaries on giving you know the customer what they want you know more downforce more more exhilaration and, and, and probably, I think, no leaning on what we're, we're known for, and that's obviously still phenomenal braking, phenomenal cornering. I mean, I can't say everyone can do power. Everyone can produce power, of course, but 
to do the real, real hard stuff, and that's reliability on braking, performance on braking, aerodynamics, uh, consistency for the driver, that's the real, real hard stuff to get right. And that takes, of course, absolutely decades to, to, to continue to fine-tune things. So that's where we're very proud from all the team in, uh, in Germany that they have done yet again uh, a phenomenal job in producing a, a beautiful piece of machinery. Yeah, tell me about how you're, um, how you came about joining up with Porsche. I mean, obviously, you, you moved to them driving for them in the World Endurance Championship. You just came off a stellar F1 career, two Monaco wins. Um, and uh, But how did that relation develop initially with Porsche? Yeah, well, they were starting their sports car program in 2012, but getting starting testing and then going racing in uh, in 14. And I uh, was approached by by some of the board members to say, would you like to come across? I said, well, absolutely. And they wanted me to start the testing program in 2013, but I was still looking to have one more year in F1. Um, so it was a little bit of an overlap there, but um, still to this day, to their word, they're like, well, yep, yeah, okay, you can not drive as long as you want, but obviously you can, as long as you, of course, you've got to perform, which I was obviously, but in terms of race for us, and then after that, we would love to have you as an ambassador. And, and, and here we are, you know, whatever, we're coming up to, you know, nearly what's going to be nine years now. It goes pretty pretty quick. But um, so yeah, I've been very very fortunate to to go on a journey with the brand. How big Porsche has come in those last ten years has been just absolutely phenomenal. I never realised, of course, how long I would probably be with them and continue to enjoy you know representing them. But I think it's uh, they're still even how big they are, they're still understated, let the product do the work, uh, they do everything beautifully well, and whether it's events, whether it's you know, with showrooms, dealerships, I mean, just the, the style and standards of the brand are, are extraordinary, and that's something I'm very proud to be part of. Yeah. How did you um, find the transition from Formula One to going to world endurance racing? It, it's, uh, I think it's fair to say that Formula One or single-seater racing, it's, it's very much focused on the driver, but suddenly in endurance racing, you've got to share it with two other blokes. I spoke to Kevin Magnuson last week about this, and he went the other way. He was ready for a world endurance drive at the start of this year, got the call up at Haas, had to come back. Mm-hmm. And he found it quite hard to sort of switch his head off being in endurance mode and end of effort. How did you find that, suddenly realising you have to compromise your, your environment, so to speak? Yeah, that's right. It's, um, Formula One is a lot more individual. You work with a team on your own set requirements to, to make sure that you're getting the most out of the car for yourself. And even the cockpit, of course, the, the, the ergonomics, the sitting, the, the environment that you can work in with your seat, the pedal, steering wheel, everything is virtually you know, custom-made or tailor-made to yourself. Now, of course, in sports cars, that's different because you need to, as you say, share the car with two other guys at Le Mans, uh, for example, three drivers to, to do that race. So a lot of compromises in your seating position, in your setup of the car, uh, the things that you would always have that for yourself uh, aren't always there so you've got to give up a little bit for for example Timo and I were quite a long way apart on setup um, but we certainly got there in the end on what we what we liked and how we could sort of meet in the middle which is where Brendan was yeah it's just part of endurance racing and the really really good guys are great at you've got to work as a team I mean it was perfect for me at my age that I was at that point to really you know share the love and, and give everything to our own performance and making sure that we're obviously super open and transparent with with each other which is obviously there's no other way to do it you would not be successful in sports cars if it's not the way but um, we had such a very very good mentality on our car that um, 
yeah, we tried to feed each other as much information as we could to make the other guy look as best as he could. And, of course, if his performance is lifting, then so is yours. Of course, the, the 919 is a hybrid car. That was a big part of the reason for, for people entering the, the manufacturers entering the sport because we're moving towards electrification. Obviously, Porsche with the Taycan. Again, you know, that probably the most sports-oriented EV I've ever driven yeah. with that step transmission and yeah. phenomenal. But um, where, where do you see motorsport going in terms of electrification? Do you, is it all going that way or is there still room for combustion engine? I, mean, I know F1's new rules in 2026 will be kind of almost 50-50 electric yeah. power unit and combustion. Still room for the combustion engine in motorsport? Yeah, I think they're sitting on the fence right now. Yeah. Uh, everyone is still looking to have you know really good electric uh, electrification tech, which is still going through its... Infancy, you still could say it's still, uh, you know, I mean, the Taycan, for example, is, is, as you say, you know, of course, we're biased, but we believe, you know, it's the, it's the most sporty and the most, you know, reliable and, and in terms of style and everything, it's, it's the best electric car in, in, in the market in that, in that sense. But it, it's got the 800 volt battery from the 919. So it's gone from the racetrack to the, to the, to the street car. And that's something, that, again, Porsche are very, very proud of that we 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 take that that type of technology that's been proven uh, in a race winning environment with our race cars um and but yeah that's the electrical side le- electrification side but then you've got obviously the combustion side which is still in terms of when we talk motorsport yes there is still and formula one and um i mean look at the u.s they're not even like look at nascar look at certain series over there they're so far away from thinking about um going uh, electric it's it's incredible but um and then europe is a little bit more you know the other way and tr- trying to find as you say sort of some sort of hybrid scenario where the combustion engine in the future still has some sort of r&d component that they can use on street cars now let's see you know motorsport and the governments in terms of what's happening on the street what they want in terms of legislation and what the the motorsport want in terms of the market is uh is a very very fascinating topic right now i'm i i'm sure it is i'm sure there's uh what governments and legislators want and what manufacturers can, can deliver, I think, are, are quite far apart. Personally, at the moment, yeah. they're, they're, there's a bit of work there to go in the middle. Let's talk about motorsport for the moment. And you're the perfect guy right now. You're in the middle because, you're, as I said, you're an ambassador with Porsche. You've also been with Red Bull Racing. Obviously, those guys were talking earlier this year mm-hmm. about getting together. Porsche mm-hmm. wanting to enter Formula One. The negotiations went their own way for, for reasons that have been documented. That door is shut. But do you think we'll see Porsche come back to Formula One at some stage? Not sure. I think they're just uh, regrouping. Now, whether they, they do remains to be seen. But um, at the moment, of course, there's, no, there's no, further, no further comment on that one, actually. Okay, so we just wrapped up the season here in Abu Dhabi. What's, what's your take on, on how the, this, this year went? Uh, did, did it live up to the hype, the new rules? I think that the dominating season from Red Bull, obviously Max won you know, obviously, you know, so many races and um, the championship was finished extremely early. No one could see that Mercedes didn't really have. Uh, they won one race this year, so that was obviously a huge surprise. You would have, you know, lost a lot of the bookies if you said that at the end of last year that they would win one race. So that was a a bit of a, a shock for the industry, I suppose, in terms of how competitive it was going to be at the front. Um, so then Red Bull really had it on on their own. Ferrari had a quick car, but operationally and strategy and reliability, and they couldn't sustain the level that Max could. So um, that was that was just how this year went. I think that the the racing, it's still very, very hard. I think the new regs, I mean, you could argue last year was more exciting. <laughs> so yeah, you could yeah. argue, you know, have the new regs uh, hit the spot. Who knows? We'll see what they table for the next round of regulations when they probably go back on some. Who knows? I, I don't know. But, um, you know, the, the cars this year for the drivers have certainly been very heavy. 
Um, so that's I know that's a topic they would like to try and consider for the future, try and get the weight out of the cars because they're just getting so heavy. Because I don't think but, anyone hit their weight target. Oh, um, Alfa Romeo did, didn't they? Yeah, I think that the, yeah, it was a very aggressive target to hit for the manufacturers. And just the slipstreaming, I think, is probably not as powerful, so they don't tow as well on the straights because they used to tow very well, you know, in, in straight line, you know, because there was obviously a lot of drag in in previous generation of, of cars regulations. Now these cars are a lot slipperier; they don't slipstream as well so um the racing yeah it'd be interesting to know the stats on 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 overtakes you know yeah. what what actually happened this year um but um, i'm sure they'll work it out there's a lot of brains in f1 and they'll they'll continue to try and make the sport better yeah now the the boys and girls are still down there well they're just wrapping up now in in, in abu dhabi at yas this week they've been doing testing for for pirelli uh for tires and for the young drivers uh yeah. you're obviously oscar piastri's manager yeah. he's jumped into the mclaren for the yeah. first time yeah um what's the feedback and, and what what do you think he can bring to the McLaren table? Oh, he loved it. Um, it was so good for him to get out on track and uh, enjoy his uh, his new environment and his future, uh, his, his, yeah, all, the, all the individuals he's going to be working with for, for, the, for the future. So um, I think that... Uh, well, he can bring. Uh, yeah, he's 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 certainly young, um, and I think that's uh, that's something which you know they're they're keen on the McLaren of always. You know, whether it's with Lewis or whether it's with Carlos or Lando or any of the young drivers, they certainly give young guys a chance, um, which which was awesome. So uh, yeah, he's. Um, he goes about his work quietly, uh, and um, obviously there's been a bit of uh, there was there was no news in the summer break. But there was only one story, and that was obviously Oscar. And um, the media just were obviously yeah, they just uh, just got a, a life of its own, and, and they just kept going on it. Uh, there hasn't been one word from really from Oscar, but um, yeah, everyone's got an opinion on him at the moment. So uh, yeah, he just goes about it nice and quietly, and he's looking forward to next year. I, I guess that's uh, from from my perspective. That's the thing that sort of indicates the true talent of the guy. Is that I've, I can't remember in thirty something years. Of, of covering and following Formula One, of a guy who has been the key to the driver movements, who hasn't made his debut into F1 yet. Because once that was settled out, settled down, then then it all started to play out. Yeah, I think it just. Oh, well, I suppose it was it was Fernando really. Uh, yeah, true, sorry, yeah. it was it was Sebastian retiring. That was not a surprise, but it still needs to happen, right? Like the market looked blocked. Mm. There was nothing happening. It could have been like. Last year was only one driver with uh, with Guan Yu Zhou, so moving up. So it looked very static and 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 not much was was going to be happening. And then, obviously, Seb retired, and then the big bombshell, which is obviously then Fernando Fernando left Alpine. So um, that's when the market really did open up. But it's easy to be a legend in, uh, in hindsight to say this is how the market's going to go. Um, there is not a person in the paddock, not one person in the paddock would have thought this is how this is going to play out for, for all, all those drivers involved in terms of the domino effect. But what is clear is that make sure that when all the dominoes settle down that you, you're you in a position to be in control of much as, as, as much as you can be. And, and that was the, the case on our side. Yeah, we've got a bit of a soft spot for Oscar in the, over here in the UAE because from, from my recollection, he cut his open wheel of teeth in Formula Four UAE here, yeah. I think, in 2015. Yeah, uh, he did racing, racing here, dragging yeah. race, dragon racing, and Dubai-based yeah. team. Yeah, we've nurtured two F1 drivers who are debuting next year because Logan Sargent also yeah. made his debut in the same year. Yeah, that's right. At the Dubai Autodrome at Yas Marina. So they did race each other. Yeah. As an yep. Aussie, I'm proud that Oscar's getting into F1, but I'm doubly proud because uh, as a UAE motorsport <laughs> representative, it's good to see Oscar and Logan. Good yeah. to see some new talent coming through. There's some really strong just across the board. Of course. I think it's always good for F1 when we can have, you know, look at look at Max arriving, look at Charles arriving, George, Lando. I mean, this is, you know, sometimes people don't like the, the change of scenery, um, but, but it happens. Young, fresh blood, you know, especially 
the ones that deserve it deserve a really red hot go ones that aren't bringing big financial packages obviously that's a different story but ones that have actually done the apprenticeship in the right way and and ticked all the boxes then um, it's great that the the industry realizes that talent and 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 gives them a go at, at the other end of the scale Daniel Ricardo just announced that he's uh, he's going back to to the Red Bull family yeah is that a natural route back into Formula One I mean we've seen we've seen the likes of uh, Fernando, as you just said, Nico Hulkenberg, Kimi, they've all taken time out and they've come back to F1. But is it too competitive to do that now? Is well, I think, uh, well, I'm, I'm happy that uh, that Daniel and Red Bull have, have, have got back together. I think that, um, yeah, he enjoys that. That, that type of setting and I think it's in, it's important that he stays close to F1 which is clearly this role will do which is good he's had a long career great career 13 years um, so you know it's, it's, it's been a, a very successful career for him it's a business where you know I think that the driver market is, is so um, unpredictable to yeah, exactly predict what's going to happen so um, I think that um, I'm happy he's not leaving properly he's going he's gonna to stay with, with Red Bull next year and then um, you know who knows where yeah. that might lead to yeah, I'm personally glad to see him around the pits. Uh, he's, a, he's, he's a ray of sunshine to see, to see him He's around. a big responsibility while the sport's so big now. Yeah. Um, obviously, he brings a, a lot of energy to it. He brings a lot of personality to it. Um, and, you know, Netflix was made for, for him in, in many ways in terms of his, his, um, his as I say, his, they've just loved his style. And I think that the narration, I suppose, of Netflix is a little bit harder for European drivers to sort of cotton on to that, I suppose. That type of uh, brief of, of, of Netflix, um, but I think that you know Daniel was right in the hitting zone um, for for them, and it was a perfect marriage. And, and he's done, he's helped the sport so much um, because of that. And, mm. and, and purely, and, and Daniel showed other drivers the way with the off track stuff to you know just from the personality side. And look, you can't force this. You know, Kimmy was never going to be like Daniel. That's just the way it is. But everyone loves Kimmy for different reasons. And then Max is obviously is is about you know he, he's he's the performance guy. You know, so um, I'm not saying that Daniel wasn't. I'm just saying like it's people put people in boxes of actually what they bring to the sport. Yeah, they all bring certain things for sure. Seb Vettel retiring, four-time world champion. Unbelievable response from from everyone in the paddock, from the media, and from the crowd to see him go. From what he's done in recent years, really, uh, he's attached yeah. himself to to a lot of people. Sport brings out some some intense rivalries at the time, and then yeah. things settle. Yeah. Your relationship with Seb was was pretty fire at the time. How's how's how are things these days? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, we get on well. Yeah. I thought it was um yeah I think the farewell was a bit over the top but anyway it was um yeah it uh, it was <laughs> I was like geez mate this is like yeah it felt like yeah this was the biggest farewell any drive which is fine God knows what Lewis is going to be like if Seb's is like that I think we're going to start Lewis's about a month out it'll be two years of farewells yeah and and your thoughts on Max Verstappen oh, you, you mentioned Lewis are we seeing another sort of are we entering another era of greatness like Hamilton Senna Schumacher with with Max yeah I think so yeah I think that um I think they're going to be very hard to beat. Uh, again next year who knows I mean it might be balanced up Mercedes might come out of the box very very strong you know there is predicted to be some management changes at Ferrari let's see how they go down but Red Bull are stable management wise they're stable driver wise they're stable with with many things as are Mercedes so um, I think that's a a good strength but uh, yeah let's let's see but Max some of the races this year I think you could have put him in 
I mean, the race in Spa was just, I think that was one of my highlights of the year in terms of, you know, along with Carlos winning in Silverstone and George winning. But like, it's always yeah. nice to see drivers win their first race. It's really, really And that was unprecedented, almost special. unprecedented. We had like yeah. four first-time winners this year, I think, or three or four. Yeah, I've got George and Carlos. But to see, yeah, Max go through the field in Spa, I mean, that was an absolute, like that was... I thought Absolute the, the tussles between him and Lewis and in um, and George rather in in Bahrain and Jeddah, the multiple passing was mm. was was sensational early at the start of the season. Yeah, I think that they were just getting the head round, weren't they? The sort of um, new regs, and I think that the yeah and tie compounds, and and I suppose um, yeah, it was it just it seems to provide re- reasonable racing that track actually. So um, even though it's super high speed, but uh, yeah, Saudi's a pretty quick circuit, good for yeah. racing. And finally, uh, you've you've. You've transitioned away from week-to-week competitive sport, life after sport, which is a very important thing. Not easy for a lot of professional athletes to, to sort of move into. Uh, that. Apart from Porsche, what else is keeping you busy these days? Well, I do some work for Red Bull, do some work for Rolex. Um, I'm involved with NOAA Media Group, which is a production company in, in the UK. Uh, I just did 14 Peaks, uh, which was a... a, a Sensational, a, a, I've got to say. Yep, Congratulations. On Netflix. Um, so if you haven't watched 14 Peaks on Netflix, uh, watch that. So that was one of our documentaries. We've got Villeneuve Peroni coming up and working on some other cool projects as well. So that's taken a bit of my time and a bit of TV work and other personal missions in the background, some other investments here and there. So um, yeah, no, it's... it's it's good, mate. As you say, it's not easy for sports people to, to, to retire. I suppose the scheduling and just the planning and everything goes around how organised you are. Um, but I've got the same pe- team of people around me as I did to this personal I'm talking about in terms of just in my own little team. Um, they've been with me 17, 18 years. So, uh, yeah, so we're pivoting and they're, they're trying to say when you're going to slow down. And um, so, yeah, 47 next year. I don't know, maybe <laughs> on a fifth. I might have the year on 50, I might have that year off. But, um, you're yeah, still a young bloke. Uh, yeah, exactly. Still very young. <laughs> and, uh, mate, I enjoy it. I enjoy the, so much to travel, but I like going to different areas around the world and, and seeing our sport grow as well like it's amazing the formula one right now it's just um going gangbusters and um amazing stuff mate now before you go i've got to we've got to touch back on the early days i remember mark weber as a as a young bloke driving a yellow pages formula ford amaru park oran park down there at Sandown. all those tracks are gone now tragically <laughs> they've all got house, they've all got houses on them it's, a, um, it's heartbreaking yeah you're racing with people like mark scaife jason mm. bright jason bargwana but do you, but that was a pretty golden time too we had mm. people you know like willpower coming through uh yeah. in, into indycar Tell us about just 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 tell us about those early days. How rough was it, and and also how you came in into contact with uh, with a certain Wallaby Rugby International at the time, David Campuzzi. Yeah, uh, look, that were good days. I mean, look, ignorance is bliss. You don't know any. You don't know what you don't know. So you got You just I had my head down, working as hard as I could. But I think deep down, I always knew I wanted to try if the opportunity was there. And my performances were there to try and get over to Europe and, and, and stay in Europe because, of course, when I left um, Australia, a little bit of tall poppy syndrome in Australia, that's how it rolls down there sometimes, but people saying, he'll be back in five minutes, he won't last long over there, and then obviously 25 years later, I'm still over there, which is, um, so it worked out okay, <laughs> but uh, you're right, it was it was really good that, you know, again, I had like, there was, uh, Jim Richards was a famous touring car yeah. driver down there, and he said to my dad, you know, like he just, Jimmy was so good to my old man, and, and they're just some really, really good quality people with no other agenda. And that I was still just rate Jimmy so as the nice. best touring car driver. Oh, 
you know. such a nice guy and the family, you know, Stephen Richards and that. Yeah, so so some good people with the right intentions, um, and that was really um, you know great for us as the Weber family. And then then David Campisi, he grew up in the same town as I did in Queanbeyan, and then there was a little bit of I was really struggling in '97. I was on 43 pounds a day as a driving instructor, and I had a 1.1 B Reg Fiesta. It's not uh, the, the the latest and greatest when it comes to uh, automotive, let me tell you. And um, but that was fine. Like I, I drove that car for two and a half years, and the sponsorship was tough in '97. And, and Campo, right at a critical time, just yeah, did did give me some finances to to help me through that period. So um, you know, and that was phenomenal because um, you know I just needed to keep racing, and I was just starting to hit my straps in Formula Three, and then I had no sponsors on the car, and and going up against teams like Jackie Stewart's team, and and who um, we laugh about it now because Jackie was uh, you know saying that I, a little bit of a thorn in his side sometimes, even though they won the championship, but I still managed to give them a few headaches, which was good. So, but yeah, that's that's the journey. I'm still in touch with Campo now, obviously, um, and you know the people that were there for you. Um, you know, loyalty goes a long way, of course. And um, yeah, you find out when you're on the ropes, um, you know, or when big decisions are going to be made. You know, who's there for you, and um, and uh, and that's something, of course, I'm I'm stealing in Oscar now. You know, that the people are going to make big decisions, and the people that you know that really believe what you can do, and um, you know, so that's nice to to put those things back into into the people that um, you know are, are important in your in your part of your profession right now. Amazing stuff. Nine-time F1 winner Mark Webber right here on Motormania. You can see him later this afternoon out at Icons of Porsche. Meanwhile, stick around because we're talking classic cars and auctions with the chairman of Sotheby's. More of Motormania is coming up next. On the UAE's number one talk radio station, Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, Motormania with you through until midday. I'm Damien Reid. In case you haven't noticed out there this weekend in particular, classic cars are booming in the region just now with events like uh, icons that we're just discussing with Mark Webber. The Mille Amelia is happening next weekend. The Golf Historic GP is on now out at the Dubai Autodrome. So uh, who better to have in the studio right now than the, uh, the chairman of RM Sotheby's for uh, EMA and the UK, Peter Warman. Uh, good morning, Peter. Good morning. Very good to be here. Thanks for asking us. Thanks very much. And uh, we're also joined by Rita Medji, uh, RM Sotheby's senior consultant. How are you this morning? Hey, Damien. Thanks for having us. We're amazing. Pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure. Um, now, Sotheby's has been uh, very busy with, with, with year-round events this year, holding auctions in the region for, for jewellery and, and rare watches. So it's fitting that, that you're sponsoring the, the Golf Historic event. Um, how did that come about? Well, it's quite new for us to um, have a presence here as far as collectors' cars are concerned, Damien. I mean, we, uh, we've done business in the region for many years. There are buyers that have bought from our auctions around the world, in North America and in Europe. Um, we've also uh, consigned cars from here to other auctions. But actually, to have a physical presence, I came here um, in March this year, having recently rejoined RM's other biz, having a little pause. And um, a f- good friend of mine said, look, you should really have a close look at the Middle East. It's changing. It's exciting. There are events going on. And we met a few of the organisers, um, the organisers of the Mille Emilia, and we know the organisers of the Gulf Historic Grand Prix. Also, we're um, partners with uh, Canossa Events that organise uh, a Concorde d'Elegance in uh, Abu Dhabi, which we, we attended last weekend. And I was inspired. I was really inspired. I, you know, meeting some of the people that organised the cars and coffee, and just we saw a few classic cars on the road, and I just felt that there was an alignment. And people, my, our impression in the past was that um, collectors here were very private, very discreet, and perhaps that was the case a number of years ago. But it feels to me now, through cars and coffee and those events, 
and, and seeing people at other events around Europe that there's an appetite now for the for the community and the social aspect of it as well as the uh, just the collecting nature. Yeah, and, and I noticed uh, you know going back a few years ago, uh, actually. Uh, your organisation actually held the first ever international car collector auction, which was back at 2019, the Abu Dhabi Formula One Grand Prix. 40 cars went under the hammer. We hadn't seen too many things to do with classic cars before that event, but still, uh, it was reported as $31.3 million, so 115 million dirhams uh, went through there. Um, and it took place straight after the Grand Prix. A massive turnaround in terms of people's attitudes, in terms of classic cars. Uh, being being something that's desirable here. It's been it's uh, traditionally it's a market that's been about new cars, about supercars, about performance cars. Uh, but we're seeing that with 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 classic cars now. What was the the feedback? You were back in the UK when that went went through. What was the what was the, the general feeling back then about the Middle East being uh, being an opportunity? I think um, it's important to note that we don't just sell what people may consider a classic car from the 1950s, 60s or the pre-war era, Damien, we're, we're looking at modern supercars, rare, low mileage examples. And in fact, a trend in the market at the moment is for the sort of 90s, the poster cars from the F40 to the F50, the Enzo, even LaFerraris are now collectible. So there's, you know, there are collectors buying these cars via auction um, of all generations. And we're, we're, we're very keen to attract a younger audience. But the feedback was good. I mean, we had the auction itself on the track. It was part of the um, event itself. I think the um, the challenge of holding an auction as part of a, a, a huge spectacle like the Formula One is everyone has a lot of things to do and you need to get them focused for three or four hours. And that, that is a challenge. But being on the start, finish straight at the circuit, the Yas Marina circuit, you know, it's exciting. I mean, the people you meet, um, the atmosphere you can create. O overall, as you say, it was over 30 million. Uh, we, were, we were delighted with the result. And I, I definitely think that's given us uh, some confidence to look more closely. Um, mm. uh, uh, you know, possibly hosting auctions um, again in the future. Yeah. Ether, you were at yesterday, I caught up with you yesterday out at the Gulf Historic event. Um, absolutely, it's it's heaven for anyone who's into classic and historic race cars, you know, names at Alberetto, Schumacher, uh, Ivan Capelli's uh, March. I mean, incredible historic stuff there. Jeff Brabham's old IMSA car as well. Um, what was your what was your feedback? What was your feeling from, from yesterday? Well, Damien, since we've all here in this uh, room been in cars for a long time, it's so refreshing to see so much diversification happening in the automotive industry in front, and especially in Dubai, where um, I came here 20 years ago. And yes, we did our part in contributing to the automotive scene and sector. Uh, I'm thinking of old friends, old journalists, uh, regional offices and dealerships. We've all done our parts, but I think that this is a new era coming up in the Middle East and especially in Dubai, where a younger generation is much more is hungrier for knowledge, is hungrier for uh, the passion and enthusiasm that was there in the 80s and the 70s and the 60s. And I think that they're ready to share this. They, they're ready to showcase it uh, in the Middle East. And what's better than uh, classic cars, Formula One cars from this those amazing years? Um, so I think that we are here as RM Sotheby's to really contribute to this car community, curate it, uh, speak more about classic cars, maybe even influence younger generations to drive those classic cars, to own them, uh, and to be able to uh, carry the legacy that they, um, they carried with our generations. Mm. Uh, interesting point, because... What I consider a classic car is probably not what other people consider to be a, to be a classic <laughs> car. Um, 
maybe it's a generational thing. I'm I'm, I'm getting too old now, but you know, <laughs> I, I, I love the smell of oil. Um, <laughs> but is that something that that you're finding that uh, you're going okay? Well, we won't actually consider, as you said, Peter. You know, La Ferrari. I I still think that's a new car because I drove it in my mind. I drove it down not long ago when it was launched, but. Yeah. But that's now considered a classic art. So the, it's a different kind of feeling here compared to, say, traditional markets like Europe and that sort of thing? I think what's uh, quite interesting, we, we were commenting just uh, last night, leaving the circuit, there's a um, ex-Alain Prost Ferrari 643, yeah, uh, a 91 car. And we were walking out of the circuit and saying, that car still looks quite modern, the fabulous bottle, the John Barnard design. Yeah. It's one of the most beautiful I said modern era Formula One cars, but yeah. in fact, it's 30 years old. And if you go back 30 years from then, you've got Jim Clark, you know, you've got 1961. And if you start to add up the numbers, it makes us all feel very old. <laughs> but when you relate it in that way. So I don't, I don't think the time is, is the issue, the issue when a car was built. It's about rarity. It's about performance. It's about, you know, what, what attracts collectors having something that, you know, not too many other people can have and something that's unique. Um, and uniqueness also comes from its um, its racing history or its ownership history or its colour scheme or provenance. There are so many different dynamics that play a role in uniqueness and collectability. Yeah, I'll tell you what, um, it made me feel quite old yesterday because that 643 Ferrari, I, I was reporting as a Grand Prix journalist when that was competing, as was the uh, the, the march of Ivan Capelli's car, car as well. It made me feel, yeah, a little old. But anyway, um, stick around, guys, because we're going uh, to continue talking about the classic car scene in the UAE. This is Motor Mating. I'm Damien Reed. We're with you through until midday. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Motor Mania with Damien Reed. Yes, welcome back. This is uh, Damien Ridd, and uh, you're still listening to the only interactive car show on radio here in the UAE. It's uh, Motor Mania, and we're talking classic cars at auctions and are still joined by the uh, the chairman of RM Sotheby's in the region, the UK, uh, Peter Wallman. Um, thanks for thanks for sticking around. Thank you so much, Lita Meji. Thank you for, for hanging around. We could talk for hours about what's going on right now with classic cars. In fact, we were during the break. Um, Peter, what... You're, you're, you're a genuine proper enthusiast, I know this. What got you into the world of, of classic cars? Well, uh, Damien, it's uh, a second career for me. In fact, I worked in the advertising industry prior to getting into cars. But my, my father always loved cars. In fact, he sold an Austin Healey 3000 to get married and uh, didn't stop talking about it. Uh, I think we only have one photo of that car in the family. But, you know, we've never been collectors. But I, I remember seeing what we consider now classic cars from the 60s on the road as a boy it was things that you know the glistening chrome the 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 glistening bezels on the instrument panel wire wheels in particular and the spinners you know that sort of james bond feeling of that thing spinning around and you know scale electrics i guess you know um the scale electric set which i I was gifted probably when i was two before i knew what it was um but then i um i worked in the advertising industry for a number of years but i moved to milan because my wife's italian and uh that's how i crossed over and i've had my um personal e-type jaguar now for 34 years so um i bought it yeah so i've always loved cars i've always had a couple of classic cars in fact i've always driven them since i had my driver's license and i was very fortunate to um have created i guess the opportunity to move into this this industry amazing he's a your what what's what was what's something that you really want to tick that you want to have in in, in, in the classic industry vehicles, in general, yeah. in classic. 
I think that the loose soy. So uh, yesterday, uh. some something I, I I really wanted to drive the 250, and then we have a Lancia Integrale at the Gulf Historic Grand Prix as well that uh, might be taken in a spin for in oh. later t- later after the after the historic grand prix yeah definitely amazing amazing <laughs> yeah. i'll tell you peter my story is very a little bit similar to yours i i did the Mille Mille in 1990 uh, as a as a young boy <laughs> <laughs> and i was so smitten by it i thought i have to have something like that i couldn't afford anything like that so um so i bought a, a, a 105 gdv 1750 alpha i still have it yeah. when i bought it i said it's never for sale Never. Yep. I was 18 or something, not selling it, and I'm still restoring it 30 years later. <laughs> 30 years later, but it's uh, it's a part of me. Um, look, thanks so much for for joining us in the studio, and uh, we're really looking forward to seeing uh, more of the classic car scene kicking off here with the help of RM Sotheby's in the region. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Motormania with Damien Reed. Fix it or flip it. Yeah, tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth. This is how it works. It's easy. We need the details about your car. We need the make. We need the model. We need the year, the colour, the mileage. Send them to 4001 or via the ARN Play app. But, of course, it's not me who's giving you all that uh, expert advice. We've got we've got our own expert in the studio. I'm joined now by automotive entrepreneur Naz Chowdhury, who, uh, judging by your social media, Naz, you had a fantastic Grand Prix experience exactly a week ago. <laughs> tell us about your Formula One weekend down at Yas. Yeah, it was a great experience. You know what? Thank you for having me back, first of all. It always is. The, the whole Abu Dhabi Yas Island, you know, it lights up. It's got an electric atmosphere. So really, really enjoyed it. And for all the motorheads out there, it really is a busy season, isn't it? There's just yeah. so many things going on. There's, if it's not Formula One, like you said, it's Gulf Historic. You've got icons of poor. So this is really the time for all automotive and motorheads to thrive, and I'm really enjoying every minute of it. Oh, totally. I, I was only <laughs> thinking last night, you could actually relocate if you're in Europe or somewhere <laughs> to here for these months, yeah. because next weekend, then, of course, we've got the Mille Amelia. Exactly. If you want to stick around a bit longer, we've got the Golf 12-hour, we've got the uh, we got the Dubai 24-hour GT races. Um, and before you know it, we're back to Formula 1 in Bahrain again in, at the end of February. It, it's incredible, <laughs> isn't it? And the best thing about it all is we have the weather to go with it as well, right? So yeah. we've been cooked up all summer. This is the perfect time to be out and about, enjoying these cars, enjoying these shows. And it's yeah, excellent time of the year. But what, what I'm loving right now too, because I'm a bit of a classic car aficionado, is classic cars aren't we are all <laughs> big? A big right now. Um, you're into your classic cars, of course. What what makes what what are your attractions? What do you look for in a classic car? You know, it's um, it's one of those love hate things. You know, people say that there's two times you enjoy a classic car: the day you buy it and the day you sell it. Right? <laughs> it's like a boat. <laughs> exactly. It's like a motor it yacht, really isn't, is, it? isn't yeah. it? Uh, but there's just something about them, right? It just takes you back to that real analog way of driving. For me, it has to be the air-cooled Porsches. You know, anything yeah. 930, 964. Although we've seen a significant jump on their prices in the past couple of years. Haven't we? What? More than yeah. double, triple. Uh, but honestly, just that that feeling, that nostalgic feeling, they're just incredible. Forget but, forget crypto, buy a Porsche. Exactly. Seriously. Forget crypto, <laughs> buy a Porsche. Exactly. Uh, but then, of course, you just have to worry about the maintenance or the running costs. But I think what you have to do with that is just expect that it's going to spend half of its life in the garage or a quarter mm. of its life in the garage. As long as you can manage your own expectations, you know, things like the battery is going to die, it's going to misfire. 
But in my opinion, that's all part of the fun as well, isn't it? So as long as you can manage that, like you can have a great time in a classic car, especially this time of year. And I'm seeing lots of nice cars coming up the woodwork now. You're seeing them up and down oh, the roads and things like that. Yeah. It's really nice to see. Have you uh, have you have you bought classic cars at auctions, or what, what do you prefer, privately or through word of mouth or, or at auction? I would love to buy a few more air cooled Porsches. You just don't find them really. I mean, you look at the listings, you may find the odd car here or there. Um, auctions are great, but there isn't much choice here in the UAE, really, if you think about it. I mean, you can't get from a, a car from an auction internationally, but then you have to worry about shipping and logistics and handling. So I think there's a really thriving uh, classic car market. I just don't think there's enough classic cars in the region mm. as of yet. So people are starting to appreciate the cars now. People are starting to bring them into the region, cherish them. There's a whole ecosystem around them now with, of course, these events. And then you have garages and workshops that are now starting to, to cater and specialize to these type of cars. So I really believe that this is a region or, sorry, an area which is going to grow and just get bigger and bigger really over the next few years. Absolutely. I couldn't couldn't not agree more. There were no classic cars when I moved here. It's crazy, now isn't that it? Seen. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's changed so quick. Classic car registrations is another thing that Yeah, of course. They've revised it. number plates a year ago. They look really nice now. They were brown, if you remember. Yeah. Now they're white with a little yellow tag. And everyone's improved, yeah, really, really nice, yeah. Yeah, reminiscent of the old days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, so let's get started. We've had a few questions already. Uh, most of them, I've got to say, don't have names on them. If you do send a text in, please include your name. Um, we'd love to uh, We'd love to uh, know who you are so we can have a chat with you. Uh, but we do have one here from uh, from Jonathan. Jonathan has a, uh, a Ford Ranger Wild Track 2016, bronze in colour, immaculate condition, and it's uh, 92,000 kilometres on that one. Hey, hey, John. Uh, great car. I think it's got decent resale value. I don't know if you've got service history or not. So remember, guys, just as much information as possible in order for me to give you the most accurate price possible. Assuming it has a decent service record and nothing crazy in terms of accidents, I'd say around 100, 110,000 dirhams. They are fairly desirable cars, especially this time of year. People like to go out, pack the family, have a little barbecue, and it's the perfect little pick up just to throw everything in the yeah. back and drive out to the desert for a weekend so it's a good time of year jonathan absolutely and i'll tell you what also with the wild track i like it too but uh but i'll tell you what um you probably get a pretty good pretty good dollar for it now because the raptor is coming on out onto the market the yeah. ranger raptor is i think is coming out here soon it's, it's been a hit in other markets um and before they come through this will still be at its peak, I think, because yeah, you could, you know, before if people are waiting for it, the long waiting list. We've talked about this extensively. If they can't wait that long, get into a wild track now, and yeah. Then, then get your Raptor. yeah, definitely. You know what's funny? I was in uh, I was in England last week, and I saw the Ranger Raptor, and it looked like a huge pickup four by four on the UK <laughs> yes. roads, and I was like, whoa! I just I just saw a Raptor in the UK. And then I realized it's a mini Ranger Raptor. Yeah. And then I saw one here recently next to a full fat Raptor, and I was like, wow. This thing's incredible, but it was made, in my opinion, for the smaller European markets. But I definitely think it's going to do well here as well, you know, just because people want something different, people want something new. It's funny, isn't it? Because it's, it's, made, <laughs> it is, it's made in Thailand, it's, uh, it, but it's also the model that's being sold in Australia. And my motoring journalist Europe, colleagues yeah. back there are going crazy about this, this massive Ranger Raptor. And I'm going, guys, what, you haven't seen, you haven't <laughs> seen the, the You F haven't seen the full this. fat, right? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, okay, let's go to uh, another no name here. Please include your name. It's a Mercedes. It's a, a GL four fifty, uh, two thousand eleven model. It's got one hundred and seventy two thousand kilometres on the clock. Full options, silver grey. Asking what they can expect for it. And this is the the uh, the big the big SUV, the GL four fifty Mercedes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, stranger. Sorry, we don't have a name here, so I can't. <laughs> um, 
Great cars, phenomenal cars. I mean, in terms of, you know, a 10-year-old plus car, that's a, a comfortable seven-seater for the family. They really, really are great cars. The downside, as the seller probably knows, is the maintenance costs really get fairly high on these. They've got the, you know, the air suspension, which, yeah. which generally fails quite a lot. There's a lot of electrics on board, and with the age and the kilometers, it could cost quite a fair bit to maintain this car and keep it on the road. I mean, I've seen people spend 15,000, 20,000 dirhams a year just to maintain these cars. Wow. Um, and because of that, the value does depreciate quite a lot. People know this. So in terms of today's market price on such a car, I'd say 30 to 35,000 dirhams. And my advice on this is, you know, if someone were to come and put an offer, if it's 1,000 or 2,000 less than what you wanted, just accept the offer and let it go. Because yeah. the following week, you may get hit with a bill of five grand and you just keep on spending more and more on it until you find the right buyer. So somewhere in the mid, mid-30s, really. Well, okay, mm. fair enough, yeah. Deepak has got an Audi Q7. Uh, it's a 2010 model, 161,000 kilometres on it. Unfortunately, um, I haven't got any further details as to what spec that Q7 model is. Yeah, so with those, you've got... They start off with the entry-level 3-litre. They go up to the 4.2 Quattro in those days. Again, you know what? Very similar story to the GL450, actually. They were competitors back in the day. Yeah, they like were. For they like, were indeed, you know, yeah. 2010, 2011, they were both seven-seaters. Both came from, you know, the German powerhouses, both similar kilometers. Now, what's interesting is they're both worth roughly the same price as well. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, there you go. They, it's around 30,000, 35,000. Of course, if it's the 4.2 Quattro S-Line, uh, probably a little bit more. If it's a basic three liter with a small eight, 17 inch wheels, probably a bit less, but there or thereabouts. So it's interesting to see two cars 12 years on. How do they compare, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually really remarkable. Of course, yeah, the uh, the Q7 was a share, shares a platform with the, the VW Touareg as well. Exactly, yeah. uh, so 2010, that's the first generation uh, Q7 too, I think. Yeah, as well. it was a hit in, in Europe, especially with the diesels. Here, not so much. Yeah, absolutely. Right, we're going to go to, uh, to the line now. We've got um, Will on the phone. Good morning, Will. Good morning, guys. How are you? Very well, thanks. Very well. Uh, Will, you've got, a, uh, you've got a desirable car, I have to say. You've got a Porsche 911. Uh, it's a 997.2 Targa C4S, 80,000 miles, full service history, and no accidents, you're saying. Um, how long have you had this one for, Will? So interestingly, uh, I've had it about a year, but I sold this exact car five years ago and bought it back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and wow. are you hoping to do that again? <laughs> so, so no, no, she's staying. Oh, she's staying. Brilliant. Fantastic. Uh, being a Tiger, of course, perfect weather uh, to get. I, I, I've, I don't know about you, Will, but I've... I've started to really warm to the look of the Targa now in the last couple of years over, over the other 911 coupe shapes, and, and I've never done that before until, up until about three or four years ago. No, absolutely. It, it used to be kind of the ugly duckling of the 911. Yeah. Uh, um, certainly the 997 too, but it, it's changed a bit recently. Well, certainly, you know, from my point of view, she's perfect in every way. Yeah, uh, Naz, this this one ticks a lot of boxes, Honestly, doesn't you, it? you can see me smiling. <laughs> hey, Will, I, I really second that. I think the 997 in general, is the best aging Porsche, really. The 996 yeah. never really took off. The 997 was a phenomenal car, very underrated for so long. Uh, as you have the point two wheel, it's the PDK. In my opinion, that is the sweet spot, 2010, 2011. Any targets, GT3s, turbos. As you probably know, Will, it's money in the bank, right? These things are not going to go down anymore. I think they found the bottom a few years ago. They'll probably creep back up again. So what you... What you paid now is probably 
more than what you sold it for five years ago, right? <laughs> and it will just keep on going. So, <laughs> I was I was very fortunate. I sold it to a friend of mine um, who basically just wanted to flip it because he couldn't fit his golf clubs in it. Oh, so I, I bought it. I bought it back for what I sold it for five years ago. Exactly. So well, you've done had, well then. Yeah. You've done well then. Great. I mean, look, in terms of... tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, in, in terms of price, Will, um, of course, with a car like this, it's always worth what someone's willing to pay on the day. But having said that, I haven't seen a 997.2 in the market, 4S for that matter, for over six months to a year now. So it's 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 fairly hard to compare. I mean... The 997.2 turbos started touching 280, 300,000 dirhams. 997.2 GT3s are going up to 400,000 now, people are asking for. So I'd say the Target C4S probably slightly less than that, somewhere in the low to mid twos. I know that sounds extraordinary, uh, but there's nothing else to compare with. I mean, now with, with the euro being uh, quite low at the moment... Um, you know, you can compare it to the U- U- European market where they're worth around 60,000 euros, 55, 50,000 euros. But, you know, historically, they were always cheaper in UK and Europe. But now with the exchange rates, Dubai prices in terms of these cars especially have really caught up to the European prices. So I would have thought somewhere there. I don't know what you think about that, Will. Yeah, that's good. I mean, it's um, slightly more than I anticipated, but all good. <laughs> uh, and that's a lot. And it's a lot more than I paid for it and a lot more than... So that's all, all good. Yeah, of course. These would have been... I remember picking these similar cars up five years ago for 140, 130, 160, depending on the service history and well things like that. Hold um, on, 135. Yeah, exactly. Somewhere there. It's just crazy how they've gone up a good 30, 40% in five years, you know? Amazing, Will. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, uh, are we going to see you out at Icons of Porsche later on this afternoon? Yeah, actually, we're just... Sorry, I didn't really need to stop talking about like she's a person. The car and I are just going to get detailed now. Brilliant, fantastic. <laughs> nice. I'll tell you what. Uh, we'll keep an eye out. Give us a buzz and we, we yeah, might exactly. see you back there. Thank, thanks very much, Will, and enjoy the enjoy the, the, the rest of the day. Roger that. Thanks, guys. Take care. Pleasure. Okay. Thank you, Will. Fix it or flip it. Yeah, tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth. This is how it works. Give us as much details as you can. The make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage. We're getting a lot of text messages through that are missing out on a few key key points. The year is important. The, uh, the the model and the mileage also helps. And your name. Don't forget your name. Send them to 4001 or via the ARM Play app. And uh, I'm joined now, of course, by automotive entrepreneur Naz Chowdhury, who's live in the studio and ready to take your calls. Now, Naz, before, the, uh, before we go to the lines, um, while we're talking classic cars and yeah. down that path, uh, I've got a text message here. Uh, again, no name. Please give us your name. We'd be great to address so you know that we're talking about your car. Yeah. Um, this is a, uh, a Mercedes SL5. 1989 European spec has been restored by Gargash. Uh, approximately 95,000 kilometres, excellent conditions. That sounds like a stunning car. It really is. I mean, for people that know the the desirability of the European spec, they're worth double the American spec cars, yeah. right? In 1989, the, the American spec cars had the big impact bumpers, yeah. which really destroyed the look. They and they also had, had the, the round headlights. The is round that, headlights, the yeah. Yes, yeah. The European spec is the one to have with the square headlights, with the windscreen, with the washers on the headlights. Phenomenal car, really. For me, this is the last real convertible Mercedes. SL really, really, really got it right at this point, the R109. Mm. Um, now, you're saying it's been restored by Gergash, which is really interesting because Gergash 
are not cheap, right? Depending yeah, that, on what level of restoration this is, you yeah. know, I've seen uh, restoration bills north of 200,000 dirhams. I mean, you know, all the chrome work, all the light work, all the glass, the rubbers, depending on what level of restoration has been put into this car, really, um, the sky's the limit. Having said that, you know, if it was just an average restoration, you know, not a frame off or anything like that, just a a nice Gergash restoration where the car is, you know, in, in good, presentable, reliable condition. I'd say this is north of 100,000 dirhams now, 120, yeah. 150,000 dirhams, which is incredible because a few years ago, you could have picked up a Pagoda for that price, right? But now yes. the Pagodas are now touching $100,000 and this is creeping They're its way up. They're 300,000 dirhams now for a Pagoda. Yeah, now the R129s, the, the ones just after this, yep. are also becoming fairly desirable and they also are incredible, incredible classic cars. If you can get hold of the uh, the... There was a show on, I think it was Harry's Garage, where he drove it across yeah. Europe. Yeah. And he had a 50p coin, like, balancing yeah. vertically on the engine just to show how smooth and reliable these SL600s are. I mean, I find them an <laughs> amazing value, too, that that right now, that, that particular That's model. That's the sweet spot, right? Yeah, it's, it is in the sweet spot. Buy yourself an R129. Uh, <laughs> as, long as, as long as you check the hood, make sure the uh, the hood motors don't, make sure don't pack up. That's, and make that's, sure you can balance a coin on the uh, <laughs> make sure you can balance a coin on the engine. But, yeah, like, like uh, Damien said, an R129 right now is probably the best value for money for entry-level classic car motoring. I mean, 20, 30, 40,000 dirhams, you're buying yourself what was 60, 70, 80,000 dollars new. Um, you've got a convertible with a hard top, with a soft top, with, uh, you know, German engineering. It doesn't really yeah. get much better than that, does it, really? Absolutely. I went to the launch of that car. Um, oh, really? With the designer, <laughs> oh, wow. Bruno Sacco. So, wow. Yeah, a long time ago now. Amazing. Um, <laughs> Text messages coming through. Now we're going now to we've got a uh, we've got a Hummer, um, a yellow Hummer, 2007. It's a H2, 172,000 kilometres, no no bumps on it. Executive pack, uh, TVs are in the back, etc. Uh, again, no name on this one, but um, it is a Hummer. Now they didn't sell the Hummer here for a whole lot of yeah. time. Uh, in fact, it was 2007, 2008, perhaps. Uh, the H2 is the uh, is the, the I guess the first mainstream Hummer that came out. Yeah, After, because the H1 was the the big commando I'm just, car. I'm just getting flashbacks of uh, all the music videos back in 2006, <laughs> 2007. As soon as there were TVs in the back, right? Uh, but like I said, this was the first commercial Hummer. I mean, the the original Hummer H1, ex Army, of course. You know, the AM General. Yeah. Um, I don't know how Arnold Schwarzenegger managed to persuade AM General to build it for the civilians. For for and yeah. that's how it started, right? Yeah, that's yeah, how that's it, right. He managed to get them on the road, and there was a huge following on the H1s. And then Hummer themselves said, hey, actually, there's a market of this. And it was quite timely, actually, because in the early, mid-2000s, uh, everyone jumped on the 4x4 bandwagon, right? Yeah. So 2003, four, you had the X5, you had the ML. A few years later, you had what we were just discussing, actually, the Q7 and the GL. And, you know, Hummer jumped into this at the right time, and they came out with the Hummer H2. They realized it was probably a bit too big and then had the H3 model out and then they stopped them. But recently, as you know, they've they've launched the new electric one. So let's see how yeah. that goes. Took right? that for a run too a while, oh, a while really? ago yeah. over, over in the US. Yeah. So I saw the lights at the front. Does that actually tell you the charge or is that yeah, just it does. a gimmick? So the, the lights, the the lights front strobe light strip. across to show you Amazing. when it's parked, yeah. how much charge you have left on it. Has the, cra- <laughs> has the crab walk that moves wow. sideways. It's, uh, wow. So yeah. we digress in terms of this yellow <laughs> hubba. It took us down a, a hubba path, hubba history. Um, in terms of price for this, I'd say uh, 60, 55 to 60,000 dirhams. Sorry, I'm being a bit vague because there was a bit of a facelift, and I'm not sure if it came in 07 or 08. Mm. 
being the facelift, I'd say 55 to 60. If it is the last of the pre-facelift, and I have to apologize because I don't remember when they actually switched over, yeah. um, then maybe a bit less, 45 to 50,000 dirhams, just depending yeah. on whether it's a pre- or post-facelift. Fantastic. Now, Chris, again, we're, we're going down the classic car path here. Naz, Chris has uh, an MGB GT, British Racing Green, 20,000 miles on a, on a new engine, I'm guessing that is. Um, looking for what should he expect to sell it here. Now, the MGB, I... You have one, don't you? No, I had an MGTC, which was a oh. 1947 model, um, timber chassis model back in Australia. Timber chassis? Yeah, the, how, the doors used to pop open when you go around last? corners. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, not too many MGBs here, though. Now, the GT, Chris, I'm guessing, is the six-cylinder one because most of them come out as a four-cylinder. The hard tops came out. The GT also came out with the Triumph um, inline six-cylinder engine in it. 20,000 since um, reconditioned. Not a whole lot of um, not a whole lot of MGBs here. I can't think of any. There was a, two or three here about a year or two ago, but that, that was about it. I don't remember seeing a, a GT. There was one that was incredibly pricey. Uh, about three years ago. Really? Yes, yeah. Uh, but I don't know about you, Naz. I, I mean, knowing sort of that era of kind of classic cars, I'd be looking I'd be looking at, say, somewhere in the uh, 60s to 90,000s is a very, very big ballpark figure. I don't know about, about your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those cars, isn't it? I mean, on paper, you know, it has the right thing. It's a, it's a, it's a 60s, 70s car. If I'm not mistaken, it, it was designed by Pininfarina as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's probably like early 70s, 72, 73, yeah. I'm guessing. Again, we don't have the, the, the year on that one. Having said that, um, of course, being the coupe, I do think it's a smaller engine, isn't it? They came in a 1.8. They did so. come out with a little, yeah, the four-cylinder. So it was the four-cylinder 1.8. Then the GT, it has a bulge in the bonnet and it has an inline six. So if he says, I, I'm, I'm not sure, I guess, we're, we're speculating a little bit. So I'm, I'm thinking it might be the six, but it might be the four. Yeah. Uh, like you said, in terms of price, I think you're definitely there in the ballpark, but it could be half of that and it could be double that. No, and I say that <laughs> yeah. not because we're covering ourselves. I say that because it all depends on the level of restoration, right? So with all classic cars, yeah. you know, a folder of books, receipts, invoices, uh, restoration images, matching numbers can really make all the difference and take it up to, you know, north of 100,000 dirhams. Uh, in contrast, you know, no paperwork, no service history, empty glove box, little bubbles of rust here and yeah. there. Lots of hidden gremlins, electrics not working. Yeah. That can take you south of 50,000 dirhams. So it, it really depends on the condition. Easy. I mean, with the previous SL500, I was fairly confident because Gurgash restored the car, right? Yeah. So, you know, you assume that's not going to have any rust. You assume that everything's going to work. So uh, that was a bit more straightforward. But with the classic cars, it really, really depends on the condition. Fix it or flip it. Right now, and uh, that is, uh, yet yeah, we value your car. Tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth. Give us the make, the model, the colour, the mileage, the year, the whole lot. Send them to zero. Uh, if you can't get through, text them to 4001 or via the ARM Play app. And uh, Naz Chowdhury and myself will do our best in the Dubai Eye studios to take your call. And uh, some, some uh, people are starting to do that right now, in fact. And uh, Jonathan, good morning. Morning to Damien, is it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, good morning, Jonathan. So you've got a uh, you've got a Ford Ranger Wild Track. We we're just talking about uh, one of those. Oh, we do. Yeah, I, just, I get a lot of people in the street coming up and asking to buy it. I don't know why. <laughs> I think oh. it's the season. It's the season. <laughs> so, uh, did I put 2016 or 2017? I've just checked. Uh, I've got 2016. 2016. Well, it's the 2017. I've just checked the um, the book. 
Oh, fantastic. Okay, so uh, you've got 93,000 kilometres on it. And uh, are you looking to, to take up one of those offers or just, just getting an idea so you can uh, you can I'm you just can getting an back? idea, really. But, but um, you know, I, I just just an idea to begin with, to be honest, Damon. Yeah, well, as we were just saying before with the, with the previous one about the, uh, the wild track, I was saying to Naz, look, there is a lot of demand for it because... Um, uh, the the ranger now is getting a lot of media interest with the with the raptor coming out. But if you can't get the raptor here, I think the 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 wild trek is at peak value right now because in terms of being worth the most because uh, you know people who maybe want to look at getting the raptor can't get their hands on it. Wild track is a, is a great you know I've had a couple on on test mm. both here and in Australia and it was my car of choice at, uh, for a while there when I went back to because well, you know you go back you've you've got to clean the house and you've got to do a few things and you still want to have a bit of fun. I I really really like sure. them. Yeah, sure. I think there are there's there is probably a shortage of wild tracks as well. Um, I believe there's 200 on on order and and most of them are taken up already. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nats, what do you think? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm sure we had a similar message this morning. So I actually mistook you for somebody else. In terms of price, Jonathan, as you said, there are not many. Um, you know, there are 200 on order. I think on 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 the popular classifieds. Last time I checked, there are only seven or eight online. Um, in terms of price at this time of year, I'd say 110, 115, 105, somewhere there. That's a realistic that's price. Bad, that's all right. So that's 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 the same as I paid for it five years ago. So I'm, I'm happy. It's the same as what you paid for it five years ago. Sounds like another nine nine seven point two. Well, that's that's the crazy world we're living in right now, Jonathan. In terms of used car no, values, can thank COVID and all the supply chip <laughs> shortage for that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All the best. Don't worry, enjoy, it. <laughs> enjoy it. Now we're going to uh, to Naraj. Naraj, you have a, a, a 2020 model BMW. You say you had BMW uh, 7.3 series, but that's uh, tell, tell me what what have you got there? So hi, hi guys. Uh, in fact, I've been hearing you out and uh, hi, Naraj. Thank you, thank you very much for all these in, uh, very very interesting information which you guys are sharing. I think you're doing a great job. Uh, thank you so much for all the information. So I've got this uh, BMW uh, 7 Series and I just wanted to actually uh, check, uh, do a price check, you know, because um, I was told that, you know, this was under warranty for, for five years and uh, it's, it's the idle time when you actually try to sell it off prior to the warranty getting expired. So uh, is that a good idea? That's my first question. And second thing is that what would be the value of this car? I've done about uh, 45 a kilometer 45k kilometers right now uh, so just wanted to check on these two points and uh, you know um, just value the car sure what uh, what what model 7 series is it what do you know is it, it, what what the engine seven, size it's 7.3 is the model so 7.31 so it's a 730 i'm assuming 730 730i yeah. is it is it yeah. the li yeah. so when yeah. you when you say cuz there's the it's li which the is the long wheelbase has it got the tvs and things in the back Yes, yes, yes. It's the it's got the full TVs and things like that in the back. Do you know if it's full got... TVs? Right, right. Thank you for your kind words. Sorry, I just jumped straight into it. But thank you for your <laughs> kind words at the start. Um, no, 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 absolutely. Does it have the M package? So M it, package uh, means bigger no. wheels, nice thicker bumpers. A, no, no, no. A couple of M logos. It's, so it's the executive. It's okay. No, it's the executive. Yeah. Executive. So to answer your first question, yes, of course, uh, Niraj, when, when these cars get sold and they still have warranty and service contract on them, they sell for a lot more yeah. and they're mo- a lot more desirable. So yes, in that sure. thought process. However, having said that, most of the 2020s, if I'm not mistaken, came with a five-year warranty and service package. So you still have a couple of years to sell. Um, yeah. 
yes. The second point to note, Niraj, is the kilometers is, is really low. I mean, it's yeah. quite a competitive market because there's a lot of leasing cars, a lot of company cars that defleet. So even if you were just to run a random search online for, you know, 2027 series, you'll find 30, 40 yeah. cars for sale at any given time. So it's fairly competitive and they have depreciated quite a lot. However, I'm confident okay. yours would be one of the lowest kilometer ones out there. So, you know, that's really your strongest selling point um, in terms well, of... Yeah. There's nothing else. Everything else, you know, the, you see these cars, eighty hundred, north of a hundred thousand all day long. Um, in terms of pricing, being the executive pack uh, with the TVs, but not being the M pack, I'd be confident to advertise this car around two three nine, two four nine, two three nine, somewhere there. If you're not in a rush, um, sure. yeah. yeah, two four nine with the kilometers, and just sit back and wait. Really, I mean, it's. Um, it is a desirable car with the fuel prices. The 730 is a good thing now. You know, everybody wants the 750 M package, but people now are more conscious of the fuel, right? So 730 is not a bad that thing. Ain't. But I'd say somewhere somewhere around there, just just shy of 250,000. What were your uh, thoughts on that, Niraj? How do you feel about that? I just I just wanted to know even uh, how much does the color of the car matter? Because I've got a very unique color, which is uh, the maroonish uh, BMW, which I don't see it nowadays, you know? So uh, is, will that also have an impact uh, on the pricing or or usually it is the, the regular colors which are accepted? So as a general rule of thumb, what I found in this region is white, black and the pastels, the grays, the silvers are always the most desirable simply because they have a larger sure. target market audience, right? You know, eight out of 10 people would buy a white car or a black car or a silver sure. car, but maybe three out of 10 would buy a maroon car. Having said that, if you wait yeah. long enough for the right buyer who wants to stand out, yeah. who wants to be different, there is a yeah. buyer for that car, right? But it's just about finding the right buyer. Okay. Um, I wouldn't advertise the car any less. I think what's more important than the color of the car is the condition of the paintwork, um, especially with sure. these cars. You know, if it's had a bit of repaint in the past, a bit of accident history in the past, that can significantly impact the price by 10 20% really. But, you oh, know, there's this okay. magical word right. here called... Ma- original paint so if you advertise a car the one of the first things people ask is does it have original paint and if it doesn't right. then the price right. really dips so uh, regardless of the color yeah. if it's got the original paint i'd still be confident 249 and um, if it has had some body work in the past you can knock 10 15 off really okay that makes sense thank you thank you that's, no that's problem really, really, no problems Naraj. Really, really hope that works thank you thank you thank you right now we're going uh straight across now to uh to to Ricky Jowell, um, we're talking until we're, we're talking um, more Ford Wildtracks, I think. Uh, Ricky, good morning. Hey, good morning, Damien and Naz. How are you? Very well, very thank well, you. Very well. Now, you've, <laughs> you, you've picked up on it. This is what we find with Motomating. We find we get themes. It's the trend, and, right? Uh, we're, we're, you've got a 2015 Ford Wildtrak. Tell us more about it. So, yeah, so it's a 2015 diesel 3.2 engine. I bought it in 2015. Um and then now I think it's done 190,000 kilometers on it and it's time to go. It has got some minor uh, mechanical issues, but nothing major. Um, I'm just thinking about how much uh, will it be valued at. Yeah, uh, Naz, uh, I mean, we're talking about wild tracks, but uh, this is a little different now. This is the diesel, um, the 3.2 turbo. One of the first as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, thanks for calling in, Ricky. I mean, in terms of price, 
what I'd say first of all is you said some minor mechanical issues. Now, what what's yeah. minor for you might be major and turn somebody else off, right? So, you know, if okay. you know what these mechanical issues are and if they're going to cost very small, insignificant amount to get them right, I'd get them done first before I advertise the car. You know, if if people come to buy a car with 190,000 kilometers on the clock and they see an engine management light on, for example, you might know that it's just a small sensor which is only across the 800 dirhams. But for a p- prospective buyer who sees an engine management light on, they just run away. So if it is insignificant mechanical work and you can get it put right before you advertise, I'd definitely recommend doing that. The last thing you want is to scare a potential buyer off. Um, in terms of pricing... It is a tough one, really, because although they're desirable, it's a little bit older, the kilometers are a bit on the higher side, um, but there aren't many in the market. So, you know, weighing up all these things in my head, I'd say 70, 75,000 dirhams somewhere there. Wow, that's, that's, uh, I bought it for like 110,000, and now it's like my work car, you know, a work uh, pickup. Workhorse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so this like 70,000 or even 50,000 is, is lottery for me. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, you know what? You, you bought it, what, 2016, you know, you bought it at the right time. Since then, yeah, the new car prices have gone up, you know, a good few percent every year. Off the back of, we say this every time, the supply chain, the logistics, the inflation, everything's literally gone up, hasn't it? So, you know, anyone that, as I said earlier yeah. in the last thing, anyone who bought a car in 2019, 20 is really in the money now. <laughs> Brilliant, Ricky. I hope that's, uh, hope that's answered some questions for you. Yeah, Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking my call. Have a good day. Thank you. Too. Enjoy, the enjoy the day. Thanks yeah. very much. Fix it or flip it. But of course, we do have a little bit more time. So tell us about your car. We'll tell you how much it's worth. Just the make, the model, the year, the colour, the mileage. Send them to 4001. Naz Chowdhury is, is live in the studio with me. And I uh, help. Uh, we'll do our best to uh, to answer your questions. And on that note, we're going straight to the line now. And uh, Assel is on the line. Good morning, Assel. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So you've got uh, you've got a BMW one sixteen i. Tell us more about it. It's two thousand fourteen. Yes, and the mileage is two seventy k, which is uh, really a high mileage. Wow. Yeah. So I'm wondering if uh, we can go for uh, to sell the car, or shall I hold it, or shall I go for auction? What is the best solution for me? Yeah. May I ask how long have you had the car for a sale? Uh, five years. So did you do most of the kilometers? Uh, almost yes. Has it been fairly reliable in this time? I mean, the one point six is it? Is it? Has it caused you many issues? Uh, no. Okay. Everything is going well. It's BMW. It's really they're uh, solid. If you drive them well and you service them well, that they are solid. I'm impressed that it's done that without many problems. Really. I mean, look in mm-hmm. terms of pricing today. You know, you're lucky that the market's quite hot right now. But even even having said that, to find someone who's going to buy one one six for two hundred and seventy on the clock. Um, would be a bit hard in terms of pricing. I'd say the right price to advertise would be around 25,000 dirhams. People will be offering around 20,000. Um, mm-hmm. Now, what else can you buy for that? Not much, really. I mean, you've got a lot of car right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but if I was to buy something else and I was in your position, of course, BMWs haven't let you down. So, you know, there's no reason why you shouldn't buy a newer version of a one series. Um, but if you are doing those kind of kilometers, then maybe you can also consider Japanese cars as well. Um, in terms of, you know, your second question as to, you know, what if I was to keep it? Um, yes, you can do that. I think you've been fairly lucky, but touching 270,000 kilometers, I see, you know, AC compressors going, yeah. I see suspension bushes going, I see oil leaks coming in the future. So the question is, yes, you can hold it for forever, really, but what would be the annual maintenance cost if you were to hold it? So it's just things you have to weigh up in your head. 
Thanks very much, Asul. Now we're going. Now we've got time for one more call before we wrap this segment up. Segment up. So we're going now straight to uh, Andrew. Andrew, you've got a, uh, a Volvo XC90 2012, 180,000 kilometres. What can you tell me about this one? Hi there, guys. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's used as a bit of a workhorse, so it's a little worn. Um, the size is good, so we're looking for something similar in terms of size with a big boot with the seven seats down, obviously. Um, good air conditioning. We find it, it doesn't really cope very well in the summer, so something with very, uh, very cool AC. And um, something safe, European preferably, but um, flexible, so open to some suggestions, really. Yeah, uh, XC90, I mean, it's, 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 a good, it's a good vehicle. Volvo are making some good stuff at the time, the 2012 model particularly. Yeah, it, uh, it's, it's a tough one to try and find a replacement right now. It's, it, if you're looking to in the new car market or are you looking for a similar price? Um, no, second-hand, uh, rough budget, maybe 50 to 80, but somewhat flexible. So really don't mind something a little older, um, I don't know, six to eight years maybe, mm. um, for a decent car, you know, something solid, something reliable. Um, so, yeah, there we go. What do you reckon? <laughs> um, I can advise you on the European stuff because I really like the European stuff, and maybe Damien can give mm. you his thoughts on uh, Japanese and Korean. Uh, I think an X5 will be a great car. Uh, you know, 50 to 80 range in today's market, you'd pick up a 2014, 15, nice seven-seater, the, the newer shape, BMW X5. The AC is really good on them, so that's what triggered me when you said uh, the AC is not so good on the Volvo. In terms of yep. Volvo, if, if you were you know considering selling the car with, with that kind of kilometers, I'd say it's probably worth around 20000 today. Um, so you yeah, top up the... Yeah, that's what you thought. So then uh, with the additional... 50, 60, if I was in your position, I was looking for a 70, I'd go for the X5. I don't know what your thoughts are, Damien, on something Japanese. Yeah, well, I was, I was oh, actually... Sorry, sorry, to sorry to interrupt. I'm not bothered about the seven seats. It's, we always have them down. It's the large trunk we're, we're really interested in. Just to... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, no, I was actually going down the same European path, uh, X5 or uh, maybe even a, the, the Audi Q um, as well, perhaps. But, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of Japanese style, yeah, you can look at the, say, the... The Nissan Pathfinder or the um, actually uh, the Kia, the Telluride, you probably yeah. get that for a reasonable price now. It's a newer shape, just above budget. But if you can't yeah. get into some of these newer Korean, if you have a look at some of these newer uh, Hyundai's and Kias have come out, honestly, mind blown in terms of what you get in terms of value, space, size. Um, definitely worth looking into. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So uh, yeah, Andrew, so you've got, you've got some options. Then you can you can, you can uh, save a few if you want the newer shape, newer style. You can go for the uh, yeah the Japanese, the, the the Koreans more. The Japanese now are getting very much European price specs. So you're talking yeah. you know uh, the the Toyotas and Nissan Pathfinders are like for like now with Europeans. So, but it sounds like you're a bit of a European guy. So I'd be going down. Yeah, it's like an X5 kind of kind Q7. of route. Q7 perhaps. What about the Terramont? What's your view on that? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, I didn't mention it because it's slightly over the 80,000 dirhams, but the Termont is a great car and it will tick all of your boxes and the AC is really good on them as well. <laughs> yeah, and they are selling, uh, in terms of new car spec, they are, they, they're they gone. They're, you they're flying, you, you yeah. just cannot find one Very now. Desirable. But uh, seven seat, a good value for their price range. Yeah, as, as Naz says, it's a little higher than what you've got here with the, the XC90, but definitely take it for a run. See what you think. Okay, that's really helpful. 
Thanks a lot, guys. All the best, Andrew. Thank Brilliant. you. Enjoy the show. Thank you. Thank Will you. do. Thanks very much, Andrew. And uh, that's about all we've got time for, for, uh, for Fix It or Flip It for this section. Uh, Naz, thanks very much. Um, you've got a plethora of choices for plans this weekend. Any, any Thank ideas? Thank you for having me. I think I'm spoiled <laughs> for choice, really. I'm torn between Autodrome and the Design District, and I think I'm just going to spend the afternoon just uh, soaking up all that beautiful metal parked up outside. So looking forward to it.